Support for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Tumblr. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. And Gmail. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And from listeners like you. Thank you. And my free time. Got to get that in there. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Would you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? neighbor i'm glad we're together again well well good god it's the changing of the seasons from season one to season two here on elwood city limits the episodic arthur podcast thank you for joining us and maybe you are jumping on for the first time decided to skip right past right past arthur season one you got this arthur thing on lock so you're joining us here oh you're gonna miss all the spoilers that's right as a matter of fact Arthur Season 2 directly links back to Season 1 in many interesting ways, both in the show and our podcast. But welcome either way, no matter if this is your first or your latest. My name is Will Young, the host of the show, and with me is my co-host, Lucas Mancini. Hello, hello. No uh, no holidays to uh, greet anybody for this week. Or, well, actually, I guess we could say, may the 4th be with you. Yikes. Mm. <laughs> I, uh, uh, what do they say? Uh, uh, live long and prosper, right? That's what the kids say? Yeah. 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 Doctor Who. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> what does God need with a spaceship? Uh, excuse me. What does God need with a starship? Yeah. My favorite Star Wars line. That's right. Actually, you know what? My, I think my favorite Star Wars movie uh, is when he goes, now I know what a TV dinner feels like. That's, That's right. probably my favorite Star Wars quote. My favorite uh, Star Wars weapon is the sonic screwdriver. Oh, yeah? I'm a big fan. Yeah? Big fan. But you can't use it on terry cloth. That's the... That's the that's the rule. <laughs> okay. Uh, so before we get into the first episode of season two, we got us an email this week, which was of course sent to us at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. The subject is thank you for Elwood City Limits plus Charizard card story. Uh, this one is from Anna. Uh, two things I wanted to tell you. First of all, I've been dealing with severe depression for the last couple of months. I'm sorry. And your podcast has really helped me through it because I made it a rule for myself that I can't listen to new episodes of your wonderful podcast unless I listen to it while walking outside, which forces me to actually roll out of bed and get out of my house. It's really been helpful. So thank you for that. Well, you're you're the real you're the real hero here. You're the real MVP for getting yourself self 
up out of bed with severe depression, but I guess we're happy to help in any way we can. And uh, I really hope that you're able to uh, uh, get some help, Anna. We're rooting for you. I'm happy to hear that she's, you know, that we've helped in any way. That's actually pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. So thank you. I'm glad to hear she, it sounds like she's doing better. So I certainly hope that's nice to hear. We certainly hope so. The other thing I want to tell you was this. I was in fifth grade during the height of the Pokemon card craze. And it's so true about teachers banning stuff like that. (laughs) But what made me really laugh was Lucas's reference to the rumor about that kid who had a knife pulled on him for the holographic Charizard card because that was a prevalent rumor where I was growing up in Denver. I don't even remember saying this. I think you I think you brought it up and then I just kind of threw in like, oh, it must have been for the holographic Charizard, right. which would have been silly because that came in the Pokemon starter pack. Oh, you yeah. could just, you could just get the, your mom could get that for you easy peasy. <laughs> yeah, but it was shiny though, Will. But they all were shiny. Actually, actually, I lost my holographic Charizard card in my backpack somewhere. I was devastated. Well, there you go, lost or pickpocketed by a knife wielding criminal. <laughs> Who knows? And then I just had a shiny. Not me. Then I just had a shiny Machamp, and I didn't have. I got uh, the shiny Machamp as well. And I, but I didn't have the Machoke, so I couldn't evolve him in actual play. You know, I don't think I've ever actually oh. played a game of whoosh. that. I was just going to say, whoosh, that's over my head. I, I As many Pokemon cards as I had, I also did not really know the rules of mm. the Pokemon trading card game. I've only played, I've played the Game Boy adaptation, Pokemon yes! the trading card game. I was just about game, to say that. Game. Uh, and that one's good because it does all the math for you. Yes, that game is great. It's just basically Pokemon just played with the trading cards, and it's great. I have that at my house with a Game Boy Color. It's Ooh, I, and the, you know, and the best part of that game is the music. The music. Oh yeah, is, I don't remember it. The at music all. is mwah, fantastic. Thank you for bringing that up because I was absolutely going to. Uh, yeah, it's it, Pokemon. The card game is really complicated. It's like you need to have, like you need to have so many energies on your Pokemon in order to attack. Whereas like. It's, There's this concept of the bench, which doesn't exist in yeah. like Pokemon the show or Pokemon the games. Or this like concept any, of benching Pokemon. Or like any other card games, really. There's like oh there, uh, well, a lot of the ones for kids were really complicated. Then you got to Yu-Gi-Oh and it was nice and streamlined, so you could get deeper into the rules. Oh yeah, those, it's not those well, deep Yu-Gi-Oh rules. Oh dude, they're deeper than you might think. I, it's not the King's game that is Magic the Gathering. That's but, correct. A re- but, you know, a real adult. Uh, uh, hobby such as Magic the Gathering, you know, a real gro- that's a game for grown-ups, Will. I, I don't like, know if you know that or not. I like how you're talking down to people voices, your Mauro Ronaldo voice. <laughs> a real king's game. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyways, uh, let's get back to this. Uh, Anna says, I am now 27 years old and live in Connecticut, and just last week a friend of mine who grew up in Connecticut mentioned the exact same rumor. I just thought it was funny that the rumor seemed to have spread across the country and into Canada. I wonder if it even spread across the world. Anyway, I love your podcast. It makes me feel good and nostalgic. Best, Anna. Anna, thank you very much for your email. Uh, Connecticut, I drove by it on the way to Philadelphia, and I saw the WWE headquarters from the highway. Oh, yeah? That was pretty cool. The only things I know about Connecticut are that's where the WWE headquarters are, and that's where they film Maury now. Uh, oh, when really? I went to New York, I was all excited. Me and my dad were going to get tickets to go watch Maury, mm. uh, but they film it in Connecticut as opposed to New York City. They used to film it in New York. I see. And that's where Triple H is from. All right, so now it's time to get into our first episode of Arthur Season 2. Now, the good thing that I noticed is that there's not a whole lot of change 
over from Arthur season one to season two. You know, yeah, not it's getting... not like The Wire. They didn't get like <laughs> they, they Tom didn't... Waits to do the yeah. opening. <laughs> uh, wait, just when you walk through the garden. Yeah, but I'm trying to think of like how oh. he would sing the Arthur theme. It'd be like uh... you gotta listen to your heart. Yeah, <laughs> that was a little bit. Uh... Listen to the beat. <laughs> you're t- you're listen t- to the rhythm. Rhythm of the street. <laughs> your 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 Tom Waits uh, singing the Arthur theme is a little a little too close to the guy that sings the Touch, <laughs> but uh, I, I applaud you for trying. You gotta listen to your heart. Oh my goodness! And I mean, Tom Waits is hard enough to imitate because uh, his voice just changes all the time. But no, uh, same same regular schmegular opening. But it's a little bit, a uh, little bit more star power here in the first story because it is indeed Arthur meets Mister Rogers. Let's start off with the cold open, and we get a an immediate callback to episode one of Elwood City Limits, Arthur's vampire coat. Oh yeah, I I, saw, I was like, oh yeah, that's that coat I haven't seen in forever. I didn't know that dates back to our first episode. Mm-hmm. That's one of the first things we talked about was well when Arthur was trying to hide the fact. That he has glasses, he wore that vampire coat. Big over. old popped collar. Yeah, so he, so it's back. It's kind of like his. Uh, he just must have grabbed a coat in a hurry because he's running off to the sugar bowl. Um, the first time, do we mention that he looks like he's dressed like he's in a Bloodborne game? <laughs> yes, yes, what, we did. Yes, okay, we did. okay, good. We absolutely did. <laughs> uh, yeah, it looks like the coat you start with in Bloodborne. <laughs> and uh, Arthur is uh, running through the Hunter's Dream, trying to get to uh, the sugar bowl uh, to tell his friends he's breathless. Because uh, he wants to tell everybody that Mr. Rogers is going to be at their school tomorrow. He says he has two things. The first thing is Mr. Rogers is going to be at their school tomorrow. Buster is impressed. But immediately, Muffy and Prunella are not as impressed. In fact, Muffy even says, Mr. Rogers, do they think we're babies? Like getting right down to the baby talk. That's uh, that's some serious words. And then, if that isn't bad enough, then Binky says, Oh, I adore Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Like really dunking this is the on closest, that theme. Uh, it's the closest we've ever gotten to Binky actually bullying anybody. Like Binky's Mr. Re- Rogers? Uh, well, <laughs> not Mr. Rogers, but just like I guess the concept of Mr. Rogers. Like Binky actually hasn't looked down on anyone yet. Well, he's physically threatened people. He's well, that's I bullying. guess, but it's like all been super empty. This is the first time Binky's like made fun of anything. I feel like, uh, and so it already rings super shallow. But it is funny. I got a kick out of him and doing his little dance, just doing this namby pamby impression of the Mister Rogers theme. What did kids think of Mister Rogers when you were a kid? Will it, let me uh, let me just finish here with the cold opening. That I have a little bit more on Mister Rogers, uh, and then Arthur's second thing he. Decides not to tell them. The second thing is that Mr. Rogers is staying at his house, which he becomes very, very anxious about, and which becomes the holdover for the episode. So Mr. Rogers, of course, uh, I just want to give a quick recap because we have some younger listeners here who may not have been, um, who may not have been, uh, had Mr. Rogers in their life as young children, as you and I uh, had the opportunity to. So Mr. Rogers is Fred Rogers. He's a t- he was a TV personality and educator, and he was behind the show Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which aired on public television, PBS, uh, for 33 years. It's it w- called Synergy. Look it up. <laughs> uh, it's uh, 33 years on the air from 1968 all the way to 2001. Uh, Fred Rogers, he was given the Presidential Medal of Freedom for his uh, for his work there on in just in terms of child the Imagination edu- Land Wars. Yeah, 
that child education? <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? Like he got the Medal of Honor for, you know, defending Imagination Land from invaders. Oh, right. That thing. Mm. He has four, over 40 honorary degrees and a Peabody Award. You may uh, tangentially know him because, and I found out about this today, there's a, there's a PBS Kids show on right now called Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Okay. And that is actually a spinoff of Mr. Rogers. Oh, my goodness. He's like... He's like Mr. Rogers is Robin or something. Like he took up the Mr. Rogers mantle. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Daniel Tiger in this case would be the, the Tim Drake of the Mr. Rogers yes. neighborhood. I was trying to remember Robin's name. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, Daniel Tiger was one of uh, Mr. Rogers' puppets. And oh. then so now has his own CGI show. And I didn't put that together because it's been forever since I've watched Mr. Rogers. Yeah, same here. I, I actually, as I'm sure you did, after watching this Arthur episode, I looked up some YouTube clips. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I want to remember what the production value and, like, what did the Mr. Rogers show look like? What was its format and mm-hmm. stuff? So that was actually really interesting looking back upon. It was very uh, it was very bare bones as compared to some other things. But keep in mind that this started before Sesame Street. And uh, it was very straightforward at the time where you could have just an uh, a gentleman uh, on a kids show, just kind of very directly educating you about ev- and anything from scientific concepts to um, feelings to like any anything that would be of use for kids. I also think there's a whole generation of people, uh, like significantly younger than us, who might remember Mr. Rogers more as a punchline. Yeah. Things like the Ultimate Showdown. Uh, I think that oh, yeah, there, yeah. Mr. Rogers jokes were very in vogue at that point in the, those early Newgrounds mm-hmm. days. Well, it was transgressive. It was like when you would see all of those those awful Flash cartoons of like, oh, you get to kill Barney, yeah. or let's let's beat up the Teletubbies. It just well, like well, compared to those, I think that the Ultimate Showdown actually does it more ta- if you want to call it that tastefully. Yeah, and and even then, the Ultimate Showdown is uh, it's pretty old. We're pretty old for knowing what that is. Yeah, for sure. Kids today may not know. And uh, Fred Rogers passed away in 2003 at the age of 74. But he has quite uh, quite the legacy. Now, Lucas, you asked earlier uh, what what kids thought of Mr. Rogers. I think it was just that Mr. Rogers was something that pretty much every kid that was allowed to watch TV watched when they were much younger. So I don't have great memories of watching it because I think I was – between the ages of three and six when I watched it. I would have been very, very young when it was on TV, but, you know, it, it's it's early enough that when you hear, like, just the opening piano of the Mr. Rogers intro, sure. just, you're just like... The shot of the train coming yeah, in into Imagination yeah. Land. And, then, and you're just like, oh, oh, like, just a very wistful kind of, oh. And um, the, then when you grow up, I mean, you kind of get out of that, and that has to do with... You know, kids at one point, and this is, this is a big thing about Arthur, is that they don't want to be babies anymore. They don't want to be seen as little kids. <laughs> oh my goodness. They want to be seen more grown up. And the idea is that Mr. Rogers is, you know, the sign of being a baby because you kind of watch that. It's meant to appeal to kids who are very, very, very young. This, mm-hmm. this is even below the, uh, the Arthur kids. This would have been DW's age as we get into in the episode. It's funny, as you get older, um, and I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on this too, of just how... You go from when you're younger being like, I don't like that Mr. Rogers stuff to looking back and being like, man, Mr. Rogers was awesome. <laughs> well, what about your experience? I don't know. I think I, I'm a little bit younger than you. So like mm-hmm. 
I have very, very faint memories of actually watching Mr. Rogers. My memory of Mr. Rogers is more so uh, in the uh, it's more so memories of that sort of era of him being kind of like the joke, like, oh, Mr. Mm-hmm. Rogers and the bloodstained sweater and like all that like ultimate showdown stuff. Right. And like that's that's really where my memories of Mr. Rogers come from. Like, I remember the train coming in. I remember the prince, that kind of stuff. But it's all very vague. I don't have like mm-hmm. as clear memories as I do as some other shows when I watched as a kid like yeah. Arthur or even earlier than that Sesame Street for sure I imagine it's the kind of thing where uh, if we don't have memories of it our parents probably do oh for sure Mr. Rogers and very similarly a Canadian program Mr. Dress Up yes um, is something that I remember my care my parents talking about all the time the friendly green giant Jolly, that's sort yeah, of yeah, their yeah. era of children's television yeah Jolly big, Green Giant excuse no, me big friendly giant big friendly giant Jolly Green Giant is on the is, he's, he's on, on the peas can. Cans. I always got them confused. In fact, as a kid, when my dad was telling me about the Jolly Giant, uh, I think I was picturing the gentleman from the peas yes. can. Uh, yeah, the, and I mean those those were things I watched uh, on TV when I was when I was little as well. But I mean, and and in, and in terms of Mister Rogers, it's very possible that you know your parents, depending on how old they were, they were probably watched them when they were young too, which is kind of a theme of this episode as well. And I promise we're circling back around to this. And I just wanted to say one quick thing, you know, in my mid twenties now, looking back on Mr. Rogers, kind of a a fondness. And I think I really appreciate the role that he took on. He was a, he was a children's educator who worked on TV and just all of the stories and like reading up on him, like you get the sense that there is like, there's no person seemingly as genuinely good hearted and with the purest intentions that he does. And now like looking back on those things of just like, you know, you know, a family guy cutaway gag of just like, oh, here's Mr. Rogers peeping on this girl and just like, <laughs> man, it, like you can you can do that to like the Teletubbies or Barney or something. And it's just like, yeah, it's kind of schmaltzy and kitty and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, just kind of not just like sounds and shapes, basically. But Mr. Rogers really was trying something that I don't even think that public TV or any sort of TV is really doing these days, really speaking to kids on almost an equal level and trying to educate them about some really complex stuff. It's that the more genuine something is, the easier it is to make fun of. Yeah. So I think that's where that comes from. I right? suppose so. And, and I, th- there's mm. few things as genuine as Mr. Rogers mm-hmm. looking back. So and uh, and, I, and I mean that's my own feeling about it. You may feel differently, but for me, it's just I th- the the least inventive or interesting thing is to make fun of Mr. Rogers. To me, I think the more interesting thing is to talk about just how much he did for generations of children and even parents uh, helping them to grow up. So there you go. There's a little bit of a primer on Mr. Rogers and a little bit of a a soapbox for me. Let's get into the actual episode. So like we said, uh, Mr. Rogers is the type of figure that really appeals more to little kids. And DW throughout this episode is just enamored with Mr. Rogers. Uh, Arthur's tr- kind of trying to disassociate from him as much as possible, but DW is like, you know, they go into the kitchen, she pulls out a chair for him, gets him like a cup of coffee, and like she is, she loves Mr. Rogers. So in this opening sequence, we kind of get the loose context of why Mr. Rogers is staying with the Reed family, mm-hmm. um, and I found I found it surprisingly unclear. Like they eventually explain it, but it's through ancillary conversations. It's not important to the plot of the story. It's just yeah. Mr. Rogers is staying with Arthur. But I was like, 
why, why is Mr. Rogers staying with him? Why is he in town? The first clue we get is that he's actually originally in the Arthur Cannon. Mm-hmm. Mr. Rogers is originally from Elwood City. That's right. That's where he hails from. Or at least, uh, did, did they say whether or not Mom Reed grew up in Elwood City? Like, was she? Yeah. Okay. So that's the other thing is they say Mr. Rogers is actually from Elwood City, and they say he knew Arthur's mom growing up, yeah. and so that's where the connection is, and that's why right. he's staying with them in town. Um, so Mr. Rogers, of course, in any sort of parody or just watching him, you'll you'll notice that he has a very distinct way of speaking, mm-hmm. and uh, there's there's one line that he has that always stuck with me, and it's when DW is kind of helping him sit down and just like, uh, oh, she she asks him something, and he says, that's right, DW. And it's and it's like a, it almost sounds like somebody doing an imitation of George H. W. Bush. Mm. It's like that's right, D. W. Yeah, that very specific accent. Uh, yeah, it's, I I'm I, I wish I'd looked up where he's from because I, I could have helped to pinpoint the accent a little bit. But it's a very uh, very distinct way of talking. Uh, so Mr. Rogers is only staying with them for another night while he's kind of I think he's like visiting friends or something in the area, and. Uh, Throughout the episode, he's trying to figure out Arthur's acting a little antsy and, you know, not himself. And Mr. Rogers is trying to kind of try to talk to him. But uh, Arthur's not into it. Uh, DW is asking him what's wrong. And um, he would initially Arthur says that he doesn't want to tell let people know that Mr. Rogers is at their house because he doesn't want people banging on the door asking for their autograph. And we get something here that we've never gotten before. It's Arthur's kind of fiddling with his glasses while he's saying this and DW says you only fiddle with your glasses when you're telling a fib so this is a brand new sort of tell for Arthur that when he fiddles with his glasses that's when, when he's that's when he's lying if you were Phoenix Wright ace attorney that's what you <laughs> watch out for um props to Arthur though that's a good lie to come up with on the spot I was like okay what excuse is he gonna come up with this one and then, hey in 2017 you know TMZ would be trying to get a snap at old <laughs> Mr. Rogers if he came to town Sure. Mr. Hey, Mr. Rogers, what do you think about Paw Patrol? <laughs> hey, hey, it's Mr. We, we talked to Mr. Rogers at LAX. Uh, this is what he had to say. You know what I mean? It's a celebrity's world, and we're all living in it. Do, do, do. Mr. Rogers, uh, what do you think about the new season of uh, Daniel Tiger? What are you guys going to be talking about? <laughs> well, I think that it's going to be a, a very educational experience. <laughs> yeah, but, like, uh, what's going on behind the scenes there? What's going on? Hey, Mr. Rogers, what do you think about Black China? She gonna stay with Rob Kardashian or what? What's going on? Oh, well, uh, I think uh, Rob's got to get his priorities straight. Uh, I, I uh, think he's got to figure out what's going on with himself before he worries about Black China and what's going on with her. <laughs> and your Mr. Rogers voice is just you in a bit of a higher register. Yeah. I, it turns out that's a lot of my impressions, Will. <laughs> of course, Arthur's real anxieties. He doesn't want uh, his friends to find out that Mr. Rogers lives there and then they'll make fun of him. There's a there's a, like an Arthur imagination cutaway where Mr. Rogers is walking down the street to mail some letters and he's just you know doing a riff on his uh his own theme song of just like it's a beautiful day here at arthur's house a beautiful day here at arthur's and he passes by muffy binky and prunella and they see him and they just like ah, like they point and laugh at him and that's <laughs> arthur's worst fear uh so mr rogers wants to go mail some letters but arthur is just impresses upon him in no uncertain terms to stay there and Arthur will do it for him and just like just stay 
here <laughs> and leaves. He goes to, and he takes the Bloodborne coat with him again. Goes to the mailbox, runs into Prunella, and uh, Arthur has to come up on the spot because he drops he drops his <laughs> postcards again. Props to Arthur. Maybe Arthur's just better at lying than me, <laughs> but I wouldn't have thought of this. Again, not as rock solid as his first excuse. I'll say that much, but it's creative. But it's uh, it's really a good sense of Arthur's improv skills. He really yes ands this. Oh, for sure. Just like uh, you know, she says these can't be from you. They're signed Fred, and he's like, oh yeah, that's because I'm thinking of uh, changing my name. Uh, Fred's just one of them. What do you what do you think of some of the others? Uh, how about Casper uh, Junius? <laughs> You're, I never thought about that, but Arthur would be good at improv. He's like, uh, give me a place. Okay, uh, Chinese restaurant. All right, and I'm Fred in the Chinese restaurant. Okay, and uh, I got a flat tire. And <laughs> Yeah, he's very good at the, at the principle of yes and. Mm-hmm. We cut back to the, uh, to the Reed house. Uh, Mr. Rogers is kind of playing the Mr. Rogers theme on the piano. And uh, Arthur, this is a great visual gag because Arthur is like zipping up his coat. He's kind of doing checking checking his wrists, um, like tying up his shoelaces, and he's doing it subconsciously as he's humming the theme, and then he just, what am I doing? <laughs> Which is, of course, a parody of the way that Mr. Rogers would either come come in and put in on his, his chucks, or he would uh, get ready to go out and put on his coat while the theme song played. That was a very good reference. Uh, and, and, I'm, and I should say, earlier in the episode, uh, Arthur's mom you know, mentions that Arthur used to love Mr. Rogers when he was D.W.'s age. Um, so, in another bid to make sure that Mr. Rogers doesn't go out, uh, you know, uh, DW tries to get Arthur to play something for him on piano. Then Mr. Rogers says that he and DW are going to go for a walk around the around her neighborhood. And then Arthur's just like, I suddenly feel like playing. <laughs> that, that's almost exactly how he how he says it too. So it cuts a, cuts back to him uh, finishing up a Beethoven routine, and Mr. Rogers very patiently uh, watching, but DW is. Not. She is very, very unimpressed. Some great DW faces in this episode. Great DW line, too. She goes, Arthur, Mr. Rogers is going to die of boredom. That's, that's right. And it's, and it's all in the delivery because Arthur is just like, let me see. Did I play the happy boat? Four times. <laughs> and then, he, yes, the line you said is like, she's very, like she's just trying to get Mr. Rogers out the door. Just like, Arthur, Mr. Rogers is going to die of boredom. <laughs> Uh, Very matter of fact. Yeah, it's great. Mr. Rogers says, I promised DW that I would take her around the block, uh, around her neighborhood. Uh, and then he says, but I get the feeling that you're embarrassed about something. And it- right here, it was like looking in a mirror for me. Like, this is exactly how I react to these situations. <laughs> uh, is Arthur sort of points to himself incredulously and is like, me? <laughs> me? No. Like, he's he's channeling Mark Wahlberg in The Happening when the lady's like, what? You're, you're, no. Yeah, you're trying to kill me, aren't you? What? No! Planning on stealing something? (laughs) No, ma'am, we're not. Plan on murdering me in my sleep? What? No! No! (laughs) Uh, Yeah, my favorite thing is that he doesn't even deny it. He just goes, me? (laughs) Hey! (laughs) Uh, And then just changes the subject. Uh, So Arthur decides that uh, 
he he will allow them to go out, but he feels that Mr. Rogers needs a disguise. But then instead settles on a disguise for him and DW instead so that they won't be implicated by being outside with them. I loved this whole sequence. This is this almost came off as like an adult swim joke or something to me. Just the sheer ridiculousness of the visuals in this little part, I really got a kick out of. Because it's, it, it's funny because Arthur's first idea is, well, Mr. Rogers, you got to have a disguise. Mm-hmm. Of course, Mr. Rogers is an adult in this situation. And what would he actually do in reality? He'd be like... No, I don't think so. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. So uh, what they come up with, well, it, it certainly does the job. Uh, so Arthur and DW put on fake beards that they just happened to have. And, you know, it, it, it looks no more stranger than if Mr. Rogers was wearing a fake beard. Um they go to uh, a park in Elwood City. There's a statue of another bearded fellow, and I was wondering, who do you think that statue's of? He's kind of in a bit of a sit-down pose, kind of thinking. I think it's a riff on the thinker. Really? Because, uh, I don't know, it just looks a little different, especially because like, the statue appears to be clothed and bearded and stuff. It almost looks like a statue of a president. Mm, I, I, it might just be generic park statue. The important part is that it also has a beard, so we could fit three True. beards in this scene. Could be, uh, could be Jacob Katzenellen Bogan, the uh, founder of Elwood City, but that's not for a long time. Oh my goodness, uh, that deep Elwood City. Lore. Yeah, I got it. And uh, DW is just Arthur. This beard is itchy, and she keeps sneezing. Uh, and then while they're in the park, Arthur's getting ready to do another lie. He's like really fumbling with his glasses. It's the kind of thing where like it's funny how you don't recognize your own tells when you're lying, but when it's when you're seeing somebody else's, it looks super obvious. So it just must be Arthur's instinct. And then all of a sudden, Buster is helping his mother with groceries. Oh, and the comedic timing on this, like. Also the framing, like Buster and his mom are in the distance, Yeah, like they're in a car, and the way he delivers the line is like he's yelling from far away. Look, Mom, it's Mr. Rogers! (laughs) Like he screams it from across the street. so you can hear it all the way in the grocery store parking lot. And then Arthur drags Mr. Rogers away. They're just basically running away from Buster at this point. Uh, Then they almost run into the tough customers playing some sidewalk soccer. And then they go. Then they go into an alley. Arthur's just like, I want to show you something, Mister Rogers. And then DW says, "Garbage." You wanted to show Mister Rogers people's garbage, just with all of these, just in this trashy alley. And then finally, Buster catches up with them, and <laughs> he is uh, what we what we come to understand. He is a huge and unabashed Mister Rogers fan. He's so starstruck here, he forgets his own name. He's, yeah, what's your name? I forget. <laughs> and it's like, oh, brother. So they, so Buster kind of tags along with them and Mr. Rogers, and um, Buster's and Arthur just impresses on him, like, listen, you can't tell anybody that Mr. Rogers is staying at my place. And he's like, hey, I, like, I got it, man. Hey, look, it's the brain and Prunella. Where are you going? I'm gonna go tell them about Mr. Rock. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I can't be trusted. And just like, wow, that was literally ten seconds ago, Buster. Great job, dude. Like it, it, like, and that hasn't been like a thing where I don't think Buster's really blurted out secrets yet. He's been uh, incredible. He, has he? Bl- he hasn't blurted out secrets. He's certainly blurted out things that have gotten Arthur in trouble from time to time. Oh, that's true. For instance, saying Arthur's the best babysitter, or oh, Arthur is like. There's a lot of times where Buster really hyped up Arthur yeah. and got him into some hot water. Buster's a really terrible hype man, so it's not unbelievable to think that he's also really bad at keeping secrets. 
Um, we go into the Brains Mom's ice cream shop with Brain Prunella and her sister Rubella. Rubella continues to hold the spot on my list as my least favorite Arthur character. Yeah. It's sort of been a competition between a few characters. We've had Buster's mom sometimes. We've had Arthur's cousin. She was terrible. Mm. We've had uh, Muffy. But in my heart... Rubella holds the top spot. I can't stand her. Something about her delivery and the combination of that with the mysticism, mm. uh, I, it just she drives me up the wall. She, um, I mean, it's it's too bad. I wish we could get a re- I wish we could get a bad character that was a male for once. It feels like we're ragging on a lot of the female characters mm, that way for but, sure. But it just kind of ends up that way. You have your uh, guy in the other class that's oh, like, oh, I can't think of another color today. That Mrs. You're, Fink. Yeah, you. You, you're a, not a big Ooh. fan of that guy. Ooh, I don't like that guy. <laughs> but, you know, it's much much like with Cousin Cora, he's only around for, like, a couple of episodes, and he's just for a couple seconds. But, uh, yeah. We're, with Rubello, if we could be so lucky. I uh, I don't I don't mind Rubello as much as you do, but I absolutely see where you're coming from. Uh, notice here that Brain's voice actor, has uh, his voice has dropped a little bit hmm. from the last season. Or it could be a different person. I no, it's no, it's the same. Oh, I it's looked, the same I guy? Because I do know in the early seasons, multiple different people play the brain. So. Well, actually, the, 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 a lot of the voice changes don't start in earnest for, like, a few seasons. Hmm. So we're... We're still on the same one, and you can tell, like you, listening to it, comparing the two, that it's just the same voice a little deeper. So that's that's a bit of a change into season two, uh, new year, new production schedule. Uh, so he even says Arthur looks quite distinguished with a beard, <laughs> uh, and Prunella is wondering why they're acting so strangely, and Brain thinks it's psychological stress brought on by too much homework. That happens to me sometimes. And then, but no, Rubella gets a a premonition. Yeah. And uh, she realizes that Arthur is under some kind of hypnotic spell. Well, it's still unclear. I think we talked about this during uh, Rubella's debut. It's unclear whether Rubella actually believes the things she's saying or she's just funning around for the kids. It's hard to say because she goes really far with this whole whole jape and like... uh, like she really goes the extra mile. So if she's trying to fool them, I mean, this is her whole life. Yeah, her whole life is it's, a lie. She's she's really embraced the prestige. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So Rubella says that uh, Arthur's been placed under a hypnotic spell, turning him into a zombie. Brain immediately tries to refute this to to his credit, and doesn't go along with it until the very end. They realize they have to stop him before they all become zombie slaves. Your friend Arthur is under a terrible spell. That kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Doctor Orpheus from the Venture Brothers. You ever watched the Venture Brothers? I've never watched the Venture Brothers. Oh, I've heard so great good. things. It's um, so good, man. It's that classic, you know, that that class classic Vincent Price. Sort of Boris Karloff, like, or if you ever saw, I'm, 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 I'm really sorry to interrupt you, uh, because you're right. The, the classic uh, showman magician uh, reminds me. I, I'm sorry, it just came to my head of from the Spectacular Spider-Man. Their take on Mysterio, which was the same sort of ah, voice of like Mysterio. So he was a goober. I love Mysterio, I know. but. He's such uh, a, he was such an idiot. <laughs> behold, Mysterio, master of the arcane arts. You dare call Mysterio a magician? Oh, man. It's great. Spectacular Spider-Man and the Venture Brothers. Watch both of those shows, kids. Uh, So Buster ends up tagging along to Arthur's place for a nice sit-down dinner with Mr. Rogers, which, hey... I would love it. Uh, but Buster is, uh, he's a real Mr. Rogers mark. 
Like he's asking him about like he he asks him like We get deep into the Mr. Rogers lore here, which yeah. if you actually weren't familiar with Mr. Rogers before seeing this episode, the context would kind of be lost on you a little bit. And uh he, he you know, he asks him like deep stuff like does King Friday ever visit you in the trolley and good old Mr. Rogers, he could just be like, you know, it's fake kid. But it's just like <laughs> Well, well, no, Buster. King Friday's trolley doesn't really come around to me. I go visit him in um, Imagination Land. I uh, believe Imagination something. I keep wanting to say Imagination Junction, but that's just that drastic, uh, dastardly Zaboomafu creeping back into my mind. It's Imagination something, and uh, <laughs> Buster's like, "Wow!" And even DW, I love this. She's just like, "Oh, brother," because she's like, even she gets that it's just a TV show. But Buster somehow believes with all the might of a kid who believes in Santa Claus. Uh, Prunella, Rubella, and Brain are spying on them from the window, trying to figure out what's what with this whole uh, zombie thing. <laughs> They're sort of like the wet bandits or something. These clumsy, like <laughs> trying to all climb over one another to look at this window. Committing a crime, I must say. This is trespassing. Even though there are no bus, Arthur and Buster and all them, it's still trespassing. Rebella like slams her thumb in the door. Ah, you kid, I'm going to get you. She says, like, Buster has, like, look at that drooling, idiotic face. And then Brunella's just like, Buster kind of always looks like that. So <laughs> that was like, kind of funny. Uh, then we go into the living room as the night kind of progresses. And Buster's like, and there was this one time where you did the dance and I did the dance too. And he's like doing this really weird kind of like almost almost like modern rap type of dance. Yeah, I was going to say it's almost like a nene if you were to switch hands mid nene. Uh, it's really a, it's, it, if you sped it up, it would look like Buster was hitting the Quan. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> okay, that's beyond my knowledge. But he's really like you really have to throw your shoulders and throw your head back and jump around. Buster's got the stanky leg. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Buster really acting his age for an eight-year-old. He desperately wants to impress Mr. Rogers. Like he really, well, how could he not be with those dance? Moves? He really wants Senpai to notice him. I like uh, I like the pairing of Brain and Prunella as the B storyline in this episode. Okay, I thought that was really interesting. Like these are two characters we definitely haven't seen mm. interacted. Brain's actually a really good character to pair with the other characters in the B plot lines because he doesn't really act his age. He brings something so much different for the tables to the table. So I always liked we've seen in episodes, you know, Brain paired off with Binky. That was a really fun dynamic. Brain paired off with Buster is really fun. So uh, I continue to enjoy seeing Brain matched with another character to be the B plot in an episode. Brain's a really versatile character. Yeah, he for sure. He works very well as as a straight man, but as we see later, like when he goes off the rails, like he can really like go places and I think that uh, you can use him in a lot of different ways and this was uh, yeah, I I think I agree. That's a good point. It's, it's a combination that we hadn't seen before. So they, they they keep trying to see inside, figure out what's going on. Arthur keeps catching them and like uh you know, closing the curtains and stuff like that. Like brain, brain knocks on the door at one point, and you know, still figures that Arthur needs help with homework. And Arthur's just like, "No, I don't need help with homework. And if I do, Buster's here. Bye." And then Brunel's <laughs> just like, "Buster, help him with homework. Something's really wrong." Rubella like, really freaks out. 
She says, uh, soon we'll all be making fools of ourselves for their stupid zombie entertainment. I believe that's in reference to when Buster's dancing. Yeah. Uh, it's, I don't know, Rubella kind of playing fast and loose with the zombie rules. I guess the zombies like to watch people dance. Just trying to make, just trying to make it fit. Just trying to make it fit. Uh, so as they're sneaking around the Reed house, w- wouldn't you know it, but Mrs. Tibble is on crime watch. That's right. Neighborhood watch. Mrs. Tibble... Shout out to Mrs. Tibble for keeping our streets safe. That's right. So she's on the phone with a friend and she's watching the Reed house and then through binoculars, which is a little bit unethical to have binoculars to look at other people's houses. Yeah, really. It's not like she like lives at a place where she has a nice look off or a view or something. Those are to peep on people. Yeah, it's a real who watches the watchmen situation. Disturbia. (laughs) Or at me. Uh, And so she calls 911 as she thinks people are alert. Trying to break into the Reed house. And then uh, <laughs> as we cut back, it's DW's bedtime. And, of course, she gets a bedtime song from Mr. Rogers, which must be awesome. And it's like DW, like, you know, paying attention in bed. And then Buster's on the edge of the bed. And he's got this, like, dreamy look on his face. Like, oh, Mr. Rod. Like, he's just completely he's, enamored with him. He's hanging on to every word. Yes. And Arthur basically kicks him out just like, you can go home now, Buster. <laughs> uh, but then. Then they hear the sirens, and uh, well, the jig is up. Well, this is quite the climax. I, um, of all the Arthur episodes we've watched so far, this was the one I've remembered the most. Okay, like I saw all the beats coming. I remembered all mm-hmm, the images, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I was excited because I remember, oh yeah, the cops show up at the end of this one, <laughs> which is kind of a crazy direction for this episode to go. Uh, yeah, so the cops show up, but it's all cleared up, and it's actually put on the evening news. Of uh, how Mr. Rogers came to visit, and they cite that he is an old friend of the family. So Arthur's pre- feeling pretty bad about himself, even though he had nothing to do with this whole police scare. But, you know, now that everybody's going to know that Mr. Rogers is in place, he's kind of on the swing set. This is where he gets an opportunity to have a heart-to-heart with Mr. Rogers. And he admits the fact that, uh, you know, well, actually, Mr. Rogers helps him kind of find the words of just he didn't want people to know he was there because he didn't want to feel like... He- he didn't want people to think he was a little kid anymore. And it uh, kind of says, like, no offense. And uh, he was he's afraid that his friends will make fun of him. And I thought this was very interesting, especially in contrast to the second story in this episode. Mr. Rogers says, real friends don't make fun of real friends. And your I, friends seem like real friends. It's, it's funny you picked up on that. I actually totally forgot that by the time I was watching the second episode. But very, it makes the pairing somewhat ironic in retrospect. Mm. Or maybe completely intentional. Mr. Rogers you know, comforts him and says that, you know, if they're your real friends, they're not going to make fun of you. And in fact, as as Arthur goes to school the next day, uh, you know, he's hoping everybody kind of didn't see, didn't watch the news. But of course, Muffy recorded it on her VHS tape. That's right. Muffy's trading tapes. And uh, but the, but they're super excited. Once they once they kind of realize that Mr. Rogers is kind of like a real person, they immediately change their tune. Like, Do you remember, did you ever have someone you knew be on the news and you guys had to physically tape it pre DVR? Yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure. Right? When, That's when, like a pretty common thing back then. We, we did that once for like my dad when he was on the news. Uh, I'm pretty sure like. Yeah, exactly. We, we used to do 
that every once in a while when you're because that was crazy. It's like oh, it's like my friends, my friends gonna be on the news. That's and, crazy. And then you accidentally tape over the X Files, and you're like, oh no, I didn't watch it yet. How is Mulder and Scully gonna get out of this one? Uh, so yeah, they immediately kind of. Uh, start geeking out over Mr. Rogers. But then Binky's still sticking to his, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. But- you see this from a, ma- a country mile away. <laughs> you look up into the mountains of Everest and it's like, oh, here comes this gag. But it still works. It's like watching the horizon in Saskatchewan. You see it from a mile away. Exactly. And Mr. Rogers comes up behind Binky, and then he just goes, and the rapper's got a real stinky look on his face. But Mr. Rogers just like, Arthur's told me a lot about you. Like, he did? Can I have your autograph? And just immediately, it it all crumbles. Binky crumbles under the pressure. Uh, and then Mr. Rogers, you know, kind of wraps up his talk to the kids. And Binky asks, did you really stay at Arthur's house? And he says, I think Arthur can answer that one. To which he begins to fiddle with his glasses. Then hands down, yes, Binky, he did. And Binky's like, can I have your autograph too? And I would have liked to have heard what lie Arthur was... What was the lie that was so ridiculous if, if, that he had to give it up? That if he, he doubled down? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> what it's could like, he have possibly said? His, his, Mr. Rogers was the one trying to break into my house. <laughs> his t- his, uh, his car broke down and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, he slept outside and I never got to meet him. I was away. I was at my grandmother's house. I, uh, uh, I don't know who this is. I don't know who this is. I plead the fifth. Uh, and yeah, the episode ends that way. Very, very nice end to it. And now a word from us kids. And now a word from us kids. And Mr. Rogers. This was probably the most I've been into in a word uh, into a word from us kids yeah, in a very long time. This was cool. It fit great with the theme of the episode. Uh, but I also, you know me, I think in an earlier episode we watched the uh, stream of it had a little bit of the after show like behind the scenes segment. And I love this stuff, especially mm. seeing it now with the value of hindsight. Animation's done very differently. This was pre-Flash. This was pre-Maya. Yeah. So it's it's always cool to see how they used to animate things way back in the day. So it's kids trying to figure out how they turned Mr. Rogers into a cartoon with a little with a few asides from Mr. Rogers exp- kind of giving a very like basic and a vague explanation of how the cartoon process works. This is also good if the kids weren't familiar, if you were watching this and you actually weren't familiar with Mr. Rogers, this gives you the context you might have missed. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I remember watching this as a kid and like not being able to understand like the, I mean, I, I mean, there's still some finer details about the animation process I don't understand, but just like, so they took his voice and put it on paper like what what's happening like it's like it's it was still a lot to grasp i didn't think that you know that was actually mr rogers in the cartoon but i was just like but how did how did they get his voice how did they what what how is this happening and i felt the explanation was a little a little vague but obviously to go into it would be a lot longer than they have you kind of thought it was like a take on me situation That would have re- more readily, I would have been able to understand that a bit better. You thought it was like Cool World. <laughs> Let's go with Take On Me. Take On Me is uh, There's uh, one great line of this. At some point, and I get that he has to say this because, you know, it's magic and he's 
telling kids to believe in themselves and they're making pictures for a project. But at some point, Mr. Rogers goes, anyone can make animation. And then his point is almost immediately refuted because they show this crazy animation of like the kids class and they're like all their heads are on all these creatures bodies. And it's it's uh, it's like two frames. Yeah. Animation would be a very liberal use of the word. Yeah, it's like a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, <laughs> so maybe not anyone. Yeah, there's a kid's head on a dinosaur. There's a couple ways that they that they say like their theories on how Mr. Rogers was turned into a cartoon, like submerging him in a huge bath and he comes out on the other side as a cartoon. Some kid might have watched Ro- Who Framed Roger Rabbit before they were allowed to. Maybe. Uh, or like putting him in a box and he comes out as a cartoon. Actually, funnily enough, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I remember a friend of mine had a um, a book on tape version of that. So like one of those things where it's like they have a little kid's book and then like somebody reads it out. I had a bunch of those when I was a kid. And yeah, like Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Not exactly the movie that you think would want to appeal to kids. Hey, it was a different time. There was a RoboCop cartoon. That's what I was going to say. There's you were going to talk about the RoboCop cartoon? I was going to talk about the fact that RoboCop had toys. Yeah, well, and also like a Saturday yeah, no, morning cartoon. And a cartoon yeah. and a Canadian TV series that was uh, much, much, uh, much more censored, let's say, than the... Uh, original hardcore RoboCop movies. And just uh, just one more note as we leave Mr. Rogers' neighborhood here. Every time he was on screen, it was like it was impossible for me not to smile. Like just listening to him explain stuff. He's so he was so pleasant. All right, so now we're leaving Mr. Rogers' neighborhood going into the next episode draw with an exclamation mark. So far my favorite episode title yet. No Arthur's draw. No, Arthur does a draw, just draw exclamation point. It sounds like it's like a popular app game for the iPhone or something. Mm. Like, you want to play draw? <laughs> uh, so the cold open of this is Arthur talking about how Francine's his friend, like one of his best friends, but she can be, uh, I forget what his wording is, maybe a little much sometimes. Or it's just like, Francine could be a real jerk. <laughs> I wrote down, my first note is, Will's not going to like Francine's characterization in this episode. No, no. Call me Nostradamus because (laughs) uh, I'm expecting that to come true. Well, okay, let's get into it. So it's just opportunities of Francine just kind of being... You know, thankfully we try and keep the keep the keep the language pretty clean here, but just really being a jerk. Like she's acting a fool, you could say. Sure. Uh, You know, he says some people can be sore losers. Francine can be a sore winner. Just like her slamming a basketball down, Arthur being like, "But you just won." It's like I should have won by more, and like. Immediately, I'm just like, I don't like people like you. No, Francine's got that Draymond Green mentality. You can always, you can always. Put more points up on the board. And then just getting into this utterly asinine argument with uh, the brain. And of course, those are the two that Francine and the brain are both kind of the same type of personality because just kind of manifested differently. Francine's more of an athlete and brain is more of a brain. Uh, But they are both the type of personalities that really can't admit when they're wrong. (laughs) You know what? I never realized that, but they are kind of ideological opposites. Like Francine has a more Hobbesian view of the world, whereas brain would fall in more of the John Locke camp. 
I mean, if you want to get really deep into it, I just think that they're both a little, <laughs> they got both kind of got big heads. Francine's like, no, I think mankind is inherently evil. <laughs> I feel like that would be more the brain. I feel like he's more, uh, he would have the greater swing over to perhaps uh, a Nietzschean ideology when he's older. Which, ugh, I can't imagine the brain when he's older, probably insufferable. The, you know, just basically going back and forth of just like, yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Just like, they will continue to do this for as long as you allow them to. So the uh, the framing device of the episode is the Teacher's Charity Carnival. Uh, for what charity, they never say. But it is a uh, an annual festival where the teachers put on acts and uh, do different uh, fun stuff for the kids. Uh, Mr. Haney's going to be doing magic. Mr. Ratburn's going to be doing a puppet show, etc., etc. And when they're at the, when they're in the lunchroom, this is where we uh, get Fern, because of course she is a big part of the episode. So we have to kind of put her with, you know, Arthur Buster Francine. This is a, this episode actually I find is a much better introduction for her and what her character is about than the poetry episode. Mm-hmm. Fern is more of a plot device in that episode. She's like everybody's got to make poetry. We don't really get to know much about her besides I, that she's kind of. Shy and she likes literature. This episode, uh, there's a lot more of Fern taking direct action. Okay. I don't know. I, I feel like I would kind of argue that. I feel like they both have about the same amount of characterization, which isn't really much. But, uh, yeah, she's more of a uh, device in the first episode. She is the framing device almost. Yeah, in this episode, she's uh, to rephrase it, I guess she's more of a character in the story. Mm. Uh, whereas in that first episode, she was sort of just the inciting incident. Everybody's got to make a poem. Mm. Uh, so she, Ms. Francine says, I hope Mr. Ratburn doesn't do his puppet shows. Actually makes a pretty impressive sandwich puppet herself. Puts the olives for eyes. Just like, if you don't laugh, I'll give you extra homework. And, you know, they got the tomato for the tongue. Like Continues it to be well. my favorite thing. Uh, voice actors, voice acting. <laughs> uh, voice actors, Playing a character, playing a different character, will never not impress me. It's something you don't think about until actually until you until you say that, and uh, then I'm just like, yeah, that must be really tough. Uh, but then Fern is uh, very open about the fact that she likes Mr. Ratburn's puppet shows, and then Francine, ice cold here, <laughs> just like d- like literally just is just like anyone smarter than a rock knows that Mr. Ratburn's puppet shows are boring kid stuff, and then of course that hurts Fern's feelings, and then Fern runs away, and then Francine takes her dessert, just like guess she didn't want her dessert. Like, there's a couple of moments here when she's talking about Fern, and she's this close to being like, oh, Fern, that special little snowflake, did I invade her safe space? I, I, I don't think I interpret, I, I, I don't think I interpret it the same way. She's being very mean, but I don't think she necessarily has a, uh, an ideological bent to her bullying. Well, I think it, she just, Fern might just be a, uh. Fern might be an easy target because she doesn't really stand up to herself uh, until later on in the episode. So that's why she draws the ire of Francine so much. I don't think Francine necessarily is anti-whatever Fern stands for. No, I'm not saying that it's an ideology. I'm just saying that she would be the type of person that she almost is. It's like That's just kind of a, a modern vernacular for what she's saying here. Like later, Arthur's like, are you going to apologize to Fern? She's like, apologize for what? And like, you hurt her feelings. Mm. And she literally just says, she'll get over it. And that, that's kind of the underlying thing. I'm, like, I know that that kind of talk has been ad- adopted by a few different groups. All I'm saying is, is that I, like, I say you're saying- in, in the modern context, that's how people I find are very dismissive of uh, people with... Mm, She's different thing. You mad, bro? Is yeah, what you're, you're more more s- more sensitive type of attitudes. Because Fern is a very sensitive uh, kid, and then 
that's why I say like she's this close to being like like oh sorry if I triggered her. Oh my goodness. And just like ugh. like again talking about people that I don't like or yeah. mm, you're talking about that. Uh, but Fern decides to get back at Francine. She gets some resolve here. We cut to, to later after school where everybody's gathered around laughing at something. Francine, interestingly here, she's like got a basketball and she's just kind of walking by them and she's just like, hey, get out of my way, buster. I'm like, what? Just, what? Why? Are, like, this is, this is where it's like, okay, that's a little like... Now you're kind of trying Francine's, to make her... Francine's in this episode to play a role. To, Francine needs to be this way to pay off the end. Yeah. They're, they're, they're setting up, they're setting up the, the the story, but you're right. It is. I found it almost comical, the mm. way she pushed her. Because Buster... I really like it when they kind of make Buster like an ancillary character that's just kind of like comic relief, where it's like, right. oh, people are going to mess with Buster in this episode. So seeing Buster get pushed away, uh, I was just like, oh, that's kind of funny. Well, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know what? You're right. It's not so much that... Uh, yeah, I'm more. I would say I'm not a fan of Francine's characterization. Not her as a character, because yeah. her as a character is actually very uh, can be very deep and interesting. It's just that sometimes she needs to fill a role, and it's just like, ah, oh, I wish this wasn't Francine. And they've already what they've done with Binky. You'd think they'd actually put Binky in this role, sure, but they've already kind of. Uh, wrote themselves into a corner with that because we all know that's not who Binky is. Yeah, exactly. And when it happens to Francine, it's just like, oh, but. Why are they friends with her? That's true. It, it kind of still comes off as uh, ingenuine. Uh, well, that's not the word. But Dis- disingenuous. Disingenuous. Uh, it's almost like they need a character that they could just have be a bad person. Kind of a, but stra- because kind this, of a straw man. Yeah, but because Arthur is so, uh, I would say, well-written, everybody's kind of complicated. No one's necessarily just bad. So mm-hmm. you run into these issues where we need someone to fill this role, and I guess it's going to be Francine this time. Mm-hmm. So they're laughing because... Uh, I think it was uh, Fern made a comic that is called Furious Frank the Cow. Okay, and so full stop. Yo. Did Fern invent memes? <laughs> Go is, on. Go is on. Is this the first? It's just a meme. She drew a picture to make fun of somebody, and it's got text at the bottom, and then everybody else starts making pictures. That's a meme without the internet. Mm, yeah, it's kind of like, it's. I, I, I guess it's closer to more of the, like those... Those rage comics, but that was that was a meme. Macro text, man. It's just like we all have this subject we're all gonna riff on. It's ever it's Pepe. It's it's the picture of all the guy, the cross section of the guy's neurons, and it keeps getting more and more. Yeah. It's I think Fern invented memes. Mm. Interesting, uh, interesting, interesting theory. I and did. to a certain extent, trolling. <laughs> she does her fair share of trolling in this episode as well. Pre-internet trolling. Yeah, I'd, uh, we'll get into a bit later. But uh, yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. Uh, so yeah, there's a. It's you can hear Francine kind of doing the voiceover, and I love this line here. It's just like, "Get out of my way. I'm better than everyone. I'm even better than people who are better than me." Like, all right, really, you're hitting the nail on the head there. Uh, and then. You know, she's like, is this is this supposed to be of me? And uh, Fern's just like, uh, how could it be? Frank is a boy. And that's kind of her way of being like, no, no, not at all. It's satire. And, and yeah, uh, really that veneer of satire. Mm-hmm. And uh, Muffy's just like, how could it be you? Frank is mean and pushy and loud. And Francis is like, stop helping me, Muffy. I love that. It's, it's the... I love that cause it's so consistent with Muffy and uh, Francine's relationship. Like, she's done that exact thing in a previous episode. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Francine 
walks away just like that's about as that's about as funny as biting into an apple and finding half a worm. Oh, very visceral. Yeah. Uh, well, she's mad. Uh, then the subplot of this episode is, for some reason, Miss Tingly, as she is trying to uh, arrange everybody's individual acts for the Teacher's Charity Carnival. So she goes into the staff room. We get a look at a couple people's. Uh, Mr. Ratburn has, like, a new uh, dragon puppet that he's going to do for a play about Sinbad. Uh, Not and, the comedian. No, it's, uh, Sinbad the sailor. Uh, and then we get Mrs. Sweetwater. She's nice. And she is going to be uh, having a sing-along and giving a prize to a the best singer-alonger. And then... is Wait, so... Is this the debut of the I Like Fudge song, or have we heard it before? We've heard it before. We have heard it before. Uh, I love it, though. Miss Ratburn was uh, singing it in her episode. Isn't that weird? <laughs> so I, Because at first, as a kid, I remembered the I Like Fudge song vividly because it sort of becomes a running inside joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost – it's very arrested development in the way it keeps coming back. But as a kid, I remembered it was always Mrs. Sweetwater – it's one of those Berenstain, Berenstain things. I guess Mrs. Rapper was the first one to pen the I Like Fudge song, mm-hmm. and then Mrs. Sweetwater picked it up or something. Well, I think it's probably, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this was a if this was a song that kids did, that was just a kid's song out of the time. Oh, really? I, I I've be, only I ever known it from Arthur. My mom used to reference it all the time. She's like, remember that annoying I Like Fudge song? And the, But then Mrs. Sweetwater's just like, you don't look very happy. And then just like, <laughs> won't leave Miss Tingly alone. And I'm not saying worst character, but I don't think I like Mrs. Sweetwater very much. Oh, well. She, she's she's a, a Joe Budden to Mrs. Sweetwater's little yachty. You want him to not be, you want her to not be happy anymore. <laughs> I'm not saying no, I'm just saying respect people's personal space, my man. <laughs> just because she, she, like throughout the episode she's just popping up in all these places trying to get her to be happy. This is some totalitarian garbage. Let her be unhappy if she wants to be unhappy. And like no, and she's also like scarily happy, like all the time. Uh, so she kind of Joe Budden, man, topical. <sighs> Whatever. Mrs. Miss Tingley goes to see Mrs. McGrady. What her act is going to be? She's going to be a fortune teller. Mrs. McGrady. They tone down the Boston in her in her uh, accent. She doesn't sound you know because last season it was just like I'm sorry, Arthur, <laughs> and this time it's you know she's more of just her own voice. She just kind of sounds old. Yeah, vague old, old lady older. voice. And she eventually ends up in Mr. Haney's uh, office, and he's going to be doing a magic act and offers to saw her in half. Mr. Haney. For all you Canadians out there, it's reminiscent of Mom, Mom, Aiden cut me in half again. <laughs> My thing sound effects. Here's a T-Rex. <laughs> uh, if you're uh, American, look up, oh, what's your thing, public service announcement, yeah. what's to your th- get what we're talking about. What's your thing? Bugs. How many times have we probably seen that that we're able to recite it word for word? Everybody's got a thing. Everybody's good at something. (laughs) What's your thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mr. Haney has a magician getup that I wanted to highlight here. It's a top hat with a cape. He's got a teal sweater on and a red bow tie. He looked to me a lot like uh, Harry from Mad Men. He's dressed a lot like uh, there's an episode of My Brother, My Brother and Me where they all have to <laughs> they all have to get a job. That's like their challenge. And so uh, Griffin McRoy, the costume they buy from everybody else gets suits and like formal wear. They get him like a top hat and like a coat with tails. <laughs> and I think Justin McRoy goes, you look like if hepatitis C was a person. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, oh, 
Okay, so more uh, live action Arthur casting. You're gonna have to help me out with this one. Who is which of the which of the McElroy brothers doesn't have glasses? Which 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 one is that? Uh, that's Justin. Justin. Okay, I think Justin McElroy would be a great Mr. Haney. Oh, you're right. He would be a good Mr. Haney. Either him or or the guy who plays Harry from Mad Men. I think either of them would be very good because Harry from Mad Men has the same type of glasses. He mm. kind of has the same kind of 60s fat guy aesthetic. So, uh, yeah. An aesthetic that we all strive for. But also. 60s fat guy. But also, I would love I would love to hear, like, uh, Justin McElroy's voice coming out of Mr. Haney. Just like, yo, Arthur, what's uh, what's going on, my dude? <laughs> Arthur, are you excited for Trolls 2? I need a cheese pizza. <laughs> Yeah, for Arthur. Sure. Arthur, I know you were just doing that as like a goof, but I mean, come on, man. We get even more, even more cartoons. This is just this is just the beginning of the cartoons and comics. Buster comes up with a the first ripoff of uh, Fern style. It's called the Big Clumsy Moose with Big Feet named Franny, and the joke is her feet are named Franny, and then everybody's going to be doing their own. Uh, comic of Francine. I'm telling you, it's memes. Everybody's trying to get in on that action. Uh, just a quick production note here. It's just like everybody eventually does their comic of just like, I'm going to do one too. I'm going to do one too. Like, I can do one better than you guys. And then it cuts to Francine just kind of like just silently reading and kind of stewing in a little bit. Oddly enough, it's a it's a still shot from my dad, the garbage man. Oh, yeah? Yeah, It's it's just... The exact same shot, like, in the beginning of that episode, it goes to Fran- from Francine, pans over to Arthur, except they just took a still of her, like, right there. And Good like, memory. That's that's some Michael Bay up in that business. Some interesting, I guess, cost-cutting uh, move. So some more of the comics that people make are really just one panels at this point, like Franny Foghorn, Frantic Frog, and Fran the Stinky Sneaker. Which is, uh, I forget who says it, but is immediately remarked upon, that's funny. Yeah, Sue Ellen says that. Uh, And then Arthur, to his credit, kind of sees that it's starting to bother Francine. And again, Fern, just as ice cold as Francine, just she'll get over it. Like in a really, in a real more quiet, cold kind of way than Francine was was more just like in your face kind of uh, insulting. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind, Will. I was thinking the same thing. Uh, but then we get, and and Arthur tries to check on Francine, and she she kind of rebuffs him, you know, saying, you know, very angrily that she's fine, D- doing a doing a real I'm not mad kind of thing. And then Buster comes up with a new comic. His first one was real bad, but this one is like the magnum opus of the the Francine memes out there. The, this comic. Two things. One, yes. it's very Captain Underpants. Yeah. Uh, it especially reminds me of the comics the boys made in Captain Underpants. Yes. And two, it's got a morbid ending. It's like the 1980s remake of The Blob. <laughs> uh, the ending of this is crazy when you think about it. Or it's like the 80s horror movie The Stuff. Oh, The Stuff! <laughs> uh, so Buster's is called The Giant Slime That Came to School, and it actually has a narrative. It uh, also rhymes, doesn't it? Uh... A little bit. Like, he's kind of got a sing-songy uh, cadence when he's telling no, the story. Not really. Well, n- not necessarily rhyming, but, like, it, in the way he says it, it's not his normal, like, delivery. Like, there's, he's not just giving to his... Like, yeah, there, no, there's a there's a rhythm to it, but mm-hmm. Arthur is clearly kind of putting on a reading voice. Uh, it starts out with uh, all the kids were at school learning complicated math. By the way, in case you're... Uh, OCD like I am uh, the problem that Mr. Ratburn tries to get Arthur and Buster to do 
3,630,279,148 divided by 7,681. I did the math. That equals 472,631.1. And then, and then it happened. The big slime came to school, and it's just this giant green mucus-looking glob of slime with Francine's haircut. Uh, and t- I, I love the detail that it has no features. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have any eyes or a mouth. It's just Francine's haircut, and then a giant, uh, what was that movie with Robin Williams where he played basketball with the help of the goopy things? John Hughes wrote it. Flubber. Flubber. A giant flubber with Francine's haircut. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> it has it has a mouth sometimes when it wants to, but it is generally featureless. Uh, so there's a couple great lines in here that were just clearly, you know, meant to be, you know, really overdramatic, like uh, Mr. Ratburn, do the math or be gone, large slime. And I thought that was really funny. And uh, the big the big slime when it eats something. It makes a specific noise that Arthur interprets as, so like a big old slurping noise. Uh, And so it eats Mr. Ratburn. The kids are happy, but then it's not- Careful what you wish for. It's not all good. And the the slime's punishment is oddly specific. Uh, It makes the kids play only games it was good at, like basketball. And it has a mouth here where it spits the basketball into the- into the hoop. I'd be hard-pressed to think of a game the slime would not be good at. Right. 100-meter dash, maybe. Maybe the biathlon. Maybe, but then it could just eat the competition, I suppose. Hmm. Uh, Touche. <laughs> then we get Bionic Bunny, who says, Slime, go away! I'm like, great job, Bionic Bunny. Like, really great start to this. And it <laughs> him, too. And then it's like <laughs> Bionic Bunny and Mr. Ratbird in the stomach playing Go Fish. One day late at night... Uh, Buster, who's only called the boy, and he is alone in the cafeteria and then starts eating the slime. It doesn't realize that it's slime because it's flavored like lime. And we get these Buster with these awful, horrid eating noises. <laughs> like, <laughs> like trying to be like halfway between like a pig and a Star Wars character. I mean, that's the noises you would make if you were to eat a blob of jello the size of your head and <laughs> shove it in your mouth. Uh, all at once, right. I'm sure it would not be pleasant. And Buster and his appetite end up being the hero of the story as he eats the whole slime. And Bionic Bunny says, thank goodness you eat like a pig. It's like interesting way of Buster to kind of characterize himself as the hero of the story. Well, he editorializes after he's finished, mm-hmm. uh, after Arthur finished re- is finished reading it. Uh, Buster makes sure to let us know. I would eat the slime, too, if it was lime slime. (laughs) Uh, Then the teacher's charity carnival is about to begin. Uh, Everybody kind of rushes out. Mrs. McGrady notices that she's like, boy, Francine, you left your comics everywhere. But then notices that Francine isn't exactly happy about them. And that kind of leads into the climax of the story. Teacher's charity, the teacher's charity carnival looks pretty fun. I love the, uh, the art teacher making the custom cotton candy of your face. That's pretty cool. Yeah, all the the production value at this like spring fair style charity carnival is through the roof. People have custom tents. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of costumes. Mrs. McGrady's tent has like special effects for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. They really put the effort into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we get into what ends up being the crux of the episode, and really, I, I think this is I think this is great. So Mrs. McGrady. It comes to Fern with a plan to make Francine look really silly. Uh, gathers everybody together that's been kind of making fun of her and gets them to hide behind a curtain. And she's got like this box up there. And when she says green gloop, they're going to pull the rope. And Not slime. 
green gloop. That's right. And uh, she's got like a vat of her own green gloop that she's going to like pour on Francine and embarrass her even further. Or at least that's what she thinks. So she brings Francine into her tent and does like a uh, sort of fortune telling routine and kind of takes from some of the comics that she saw. Like, I see a cow and a fog horn. And eventually, as they begin to talk about it, Francine breaks down. Like she's, and which is interesting, like how Mrs. McGrady is once again the figure that kids can confide to. Of uh, Francine, literally in tears, as you know, I wish they would stop making fun of me. I know I shouldn't have made fun of Fern, but this is really, uh, like, this is really making me feel bad. And the kids behind the curtain are just like, I can't believe it. Francine has feelings. And it's what everybody. Well, yeah, Binky says that I can't believe it. Francine has feelings, which kind of lightens the mood a little bit, but it does play into like the realization. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, uh, we probably shouldn't do this. And you know, Francine just being like, I just wish they would stop. And uh, so she gets a little. She feels a little better after talking with Mrs. McGrady, and everybody comes out from behind the curtain and. Uh, uh, Buster kind of with the telling line here it was so much fun making fun of her we didn't think about how it made her feel so Mrs. McGrady has kind of exposed the vicious cycle of bullying to them and like at some point if you want it to stop it has to stop with a willing act of basically mercy from one of them and she actually like gives them the agency to cease fire themselves like she get like and we find out after they go away that there was never any green gloop in the box it was all just like balloons and streamers and confetti and stuff still a ballsy move on her part that could have broke bad if you if you had a group of less empathetic kids Mm -hmm. like for instance if you had rattles uh, at the helms of the green gloop he'd be pulling that all day and even though it just be balloons it would be a weird scene to have a crying francine and then balloons fall from the ceiling yeah for sure Mrs. McGrady wouldn't wouldn't bring no green gloop on Francine. She's a very upstanding kind of guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, but she put she put faith in her ki- in her kids there, and it really paid off, and got them to kind of learn their own lesson a little bit, which is the best way to do it. And I thought that this was a very interesting. So we talked earlier about how like you know Fern may have invented memes, and how like this is all kind of. Uh, comparable to maybe today's internet culture. And I found it so interesting that this was kind of intended for kids back in, this this would have been like maybe 97, 98. But you can totally apply this, I feel, to internet culture today. It's like kind of shockingly relevant of how, you know, you have, and I'll just just use like a blanket example, but like let's say on, you know, Twitter, something Somebody says something that is very mean or hurtful, and then the backlash to them can be almost just as mean and hurtful, if not more. For sure. I think there's a uh, – there's there's not a lot of room in the middle. There's a lot of uh, – Jeez, how do I say this? Mm. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a tough kind yeah, of situation sure. to put into words. I just want to stay on that for a little bit just because, I mean, and I, th- and I wrote down Buster's line again. I'll, I'll just repeat it here. It was so much fun making fun of her. We didn't think about how it made her feel. And I feel like sometimes, even though there are definitely people out there who make fools of themselves on social media or are like especially cantankerous or mean or, you know, just plain wrong, sometimes I, f- I feel like the hammer can swing too far going in the other direction because then you get the stories of like, you know, people fired from their jobs because of something they said or people who get their computers doxxed or, you know, get like hate mail or that that sort of stuff because of something that they said that was 
bad, yes, but in the grand scheme of things, maybe should have been more chastised and forgotten rather than, you know, continued to drag on. Which mm-hmm. which is kind of what happened here is that Francine was mean to Fern and that was bad and that shouldn't have happened and Francine should have been chastised for it and made to feel how Fern feels, made to understand how she feels. But this was kind of the wrong way to do it. You swung it back and now Francine feels bad too. And in the real world, this happens and it just becomes this horrible feedback loop of people trying to make other people feel bad because they made them feel bad. You know, it's it's an example of a lack of empathy. When you have empathy for someone else's situation and you say, well, I didn't like that thing that person said uh, or I think that thing that person said was hurtful, uh, it, it, it's very hard but sometimes necessary to be able to look at their entire situation as a whole and say, okay, instead of just immediately uh, back uh, turning on this and being like, oh, you know, I think you should go pound sand. Or that's very tame, but yes. because I don't want to say anything actually rude. Right, right, right. Uh, instead of doing that, you could be, you could take a moment to think and go, okay, so what about this person's situation would lead them to this conclusion? And uh, why don't I like what they say? There's more constructive ways to go about it uh, rather than uh, just. Uh, trying to be as hurtful back as possible. And this has the added thing of like, this is all in person. So they are all in the same school. They're seeing each other face to face. And uh, that kind of interaction does add quite a bit of room for, for nuance, for understanding in Today's social media, it's all basically anonymous. You see a picture of the person that may not even be their face, and you can totally make whatever assumptions you want to because you don't really know them in real life. We're all behind Mrs. McGrady's curtain every day mm-hmm. with our hands on that rope. Will we pull it? Well, that's up to you to decide in your day-to-day life. That's right. Very good. And the conclusion of this episode I thought was a little a little rushed because we get the kids kind of going after Francine uh, to kind of try and make up to her and then we see them like playing a dart game and Fern says like wow way to go Francine and then we just kind of shuffle away from that we get like one more gag with Miss with uh, Miss Tingley being chased by Mrs. Sweetwater and Mr. Haney and then that's about it I'm just like okay well I feel like we could have followed up on that a little bit maybe just had Fern and Francine kind of talking to each other but we yeah. had to make room for all those hilarious uh, for all those goofs for all those goofs stinky sneaker that's yeah. funny now that's comedy. Now that's comedy. Okay, so let's take a look back at these two episodes. Uh, Arthur meets Mr. Rogers. What did you think, Lucas? It's hard for me to be unbiased because, again, this is such a seminal classic Arthur episode. When mm-hmm. I think of Arthur episodes, this is one of the first ones that come to mind. So it's hard to separate myself from that nostalgia. That being said, it's super effective at everything it does. It's super uh, effective. Uh, Mr. Rogers, they use him in the best possible way. Like a lot of times, I know we're going to get a lot of celebrity cameos in the future uh-huh. uh, to varying degrees of success, but I think that Mr. Rogers' character fits perfectly in the Arthur universe mm-hmm. and he plays his role. I like that he's not really the center of the story even. It's more about Arthur and Arthur once again coming to terms of not caring what other people think and being able to trust his friends to understand his situation. And so I think it succeeds at all of that. So And also DW's hilarious at this episode. She so is, this it's is another, a- yet again, another solid episode. And I think it earns its classic Arthur episode status, at least in my mind. Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd agree with your uh, summation. It is kind of one of those ones where it is the most notable since it is one of Arthur's 
Arthur's first big guest stars. No, no shade here to Jack Perletsky, but uh, you know, Mr. Rogers, and and they were contemporaries on the same network, so it kind of made sense for him to be there. Uh, and I think he sets a great precedent for what a guest can be. It's him filling his role as Mr. Rogers, and I, but I also think it's a very interesting time capsule. I again, I think back to I'm thinking about the kids or the young people, I should say, who didn't grow up with Mr. Rogers, like maybe you or me did, and I imagine maybe they don't have as much connection to him, but I think in one episode, you kind of understand what he's about. He almost seems a bit too good to be true, I imagine, if you're not familiar with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, but uh, I think the only thing that I'm not crazy about is just kind of the framing thing of, or I should say the B plot that intersects with the A plot of, you know, Brain, Prunella, and Rubella, just to kind of add a bit of conflict and to eventually have it come out, but, you know, it's got to happen some way, and I mean, I guess they tried to be a little creative. Again, give us different character combinations. So I I don't, I don't hate it or anything. It's just not really, I don't really have any strong feelings about it. I like their dynamic, but because they were so pressed for time, it doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. Still, I do like seeing brain matched with odd characters. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I, and it was, it was great seeing Mr. Rogers again, a real, like not somebody I think of all the time. Like maybe I think of, of Arthur, but it's nice to be reminded. And uh, draw, like as, as, as I said earlier, it's an interesting pairing, these two episodes, because Mm. as I kind of said in the Mr. Rogers episode, real friends don't make fun of real friends friends and I thought that that was an interesting byline to consider into the second episode uh, it's another ensemble episodes and as and I kind of already made my feelings clear of like I don't like when Francine is kind of used as a story device and I felt that uh, Fern kind of was too she did get a little bit more characterization but in the end it was really to push forth the message rather than develop the characters themselves, the anti-bullying message. However, the message itself is is a good one to push. Like if you have to use these characters to make an anti-bullying message, I think that this is a this is a fine way to do it. And as I said, it holds up surprisingly well when you compare it to the culture that we live in today, which I didn't expect at all. I was watching this episode and then just thinking of just like, wow, I've seen these situations play out like this year. Like just on Twitter, on Facebook, on social media, just through the 24 hour news cycle of just, uh, you know, like horrible things said and then horrible retribution taken. And it's like, I wish we could learn a lesson from this episode. I think this could speak to adults even of you, you need empathy and, you know, you need to realize that sometimes the change needs to start with you, even if you are very close to the situation. I think that's the most effective aspect of this episode is that it could have been easily just Francine's the villain and uh, Fern is the victim. But I think that's the reason they try to vilify Francine so early on. Like she's so over the top, like, I'm the worst, I'm Francine. And the reason for that is they turn it completely on its head. And it's like Fern's out to get Francine with all these character uh, uh, assassinations. And then we see Francine in tears, which is not something we often see. So uh, they kind of make them both the villain in a way. And that's how these situations usually go. So I thought that was a level of depth and complexity that wasn't expected. Because you don't see that in kids' media a lot. Usually the the bully in, you know, your run of the mill TV show, your run of the mill cartoon show, I should say, is very one note. And this and like you said, they both kind of are the bullies, which is crazy to think about for a kids show, but is absolutely true. And like I'll like I'll be honest with you, I I was bullied myself when I was in elementary school and then that led to me 
being a bully in junior high. Like it, it is this really bad feedback loop, and it's you know it's not something I'm proud of. I'm not saying that you know to puff myself up in any way, but it's kind of to illustrate like this absolutely does happen. The people who are disenfranchised, who lose power because of bullying, then look to get that power back by any means necessary, and then turn to bullying themselves. And it's a horrible loop that needs to be broken. That being said, I thought some of the Francine gags were pretty funny. Sure. I I like that Sneaky Sneaker kept coming back. I liked all the stuff with the adults. Like, as a really, really small B-plot, the whole organizing the carnival stuff, all that stuff worked for me. That might just be nostalgia because I remember my mom being so into it back in the day. But all that stuff, Mr. Haney sawing the board in half. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, the board actually sawed in half. Maybe don't get into that. <laughs> uh, the I Like Fudge song, all that stuff's funny as well. So it's a good mix of uh, a serious message and some some good fun bits. Yeah, they did well to keep it light. And I think that that was very important with something that could be a very serious subject. You can do a whole lot of very serious topics on bullying because it's you know still a problem. Problem some 20 years later, and uh, uh, who knows if there's any end in sight. But yeah, you're right. Uh, there was some much, uh, much appreciated uh, levity here and there, and the comics were cool. It reminded me of Sticking Around, mm. uh, which is uh, which I love. All right, so uh, I'd say uh, I'd say a hearty thumbs up for. Arthur meets Mr. Rogers and draw. So there you have it. We are well into season two at this point. And thank you very much for uh, listening today, whenever you may be listening. Okay, quickly, uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. You can uh, interact with us over there. Send us a private message if you like. Twitter, at ECL Podcast. Get up all in our DMs and catch our latest memes. And thank you to our 50-plus followers. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com, reblogging all that fun stuff. And, of course, you can email us whatever you'd like at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you are listening, then thank you very much. But you can also listen, SoundCloud.com slash ElwoodCityLimits, or you can uh, go to uh, iTunes and subscribe to us there. And if you please, if you could uh, rate and review us, it helps that algorithm and more people, more like-minded Arthur fans find us. By the way, before I forget, uh, we had a piece of fan content. uh, We had a couple pieces of fan content. I want to say thank you to Daniel Corbin for the... uh, couple of screenshots he sent me but we had a uh, our first fan remix and this this blew both of our hair back i, I still think. can't believe this is real yeah so in the last episode we made a goof on mask off by future kind of did the uh the lyrics to it a little bit and uh, <laughs> if you could call it that it was pretty it was a a pretty shoddy rendition yeah. but still and our and our listener joe zayas uh made us a uh parody is put sort of put us into the beat for mask off and that was great if you haven't seen it yet you can go to soundcloud.com slash elwood city limits and find it there on our feed or you can go to one of our social media channels we made sure to let everybody know about it because we loved it thank you very much joe zayas Okay, Lucas, next week we've got ourselves another episode as we delve into season two. This one, uh, these ones, these are uh, some more uh, potential classics here. We've got Binky Barnes Art Expert and Arthur's Lucky Pencil. Hmm. So a couple more ensemble episodes, but uh, there's definitely a lot to work with in these ones, and uh, I'm interested to see how we'll find it. All right, thanks a lot for listening to Elwood City Limits. We really appreciate it. Lucas, what do you got? Anyone can make animation. Mr. Rogers, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Cinco de Mayo, everybody. 
That was a holiday I forgot about. And uh, as we as we go out here, I know we normally kind of do the extra, and again, we will see you next week. But I wanted to leave you, uh, since we, we did kind of a bit of researching, YouTube researching, for uh, Mr. Rogers. Uh, by the way, I would absolutely recommend that you look up uh, YouTube search Garden of Your Mind. Uh, it's a PBS digital remix of, uh, it's like an auto-tune remix of Mr. Rogers, and it's uh, it's a beautiful little song. But I wanted to leave you with the words of Fred Rogers himself. We kind of want to dedicate this episode uh, to him and all the work that he did in, well, helping to shape us as kids. And uh, these are his words, his speech from winning a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Daytime Emmys 20 years ago in 1997. Before Ellen ruled the world. That's right. Uh, All right, we will see you next week. And uh, to take you out of here, here is Mr. Rogers. So many people have helped me to come to this night. Some of you are here. Some are far away. Some are even in heaven. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take, along with me, 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are? Those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life. 10 seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be to know the difference you feel they've made. You know, they're the kind of people television does well to offer our world. Special thanks to my family and friends and to my coworkers in public broadcasting, family communications, and this academy for encouraging me allowing me all these years to be your neighbor. May God be with you. Thank you very much.